So what's up? I'm going to attempt to sit down, but you guys know me. I don't like to sit down, so we'll see how this goes. So who is ready for the new series next week? Anybody? It's going to be it's going to be awesome, all right? Not only we got swag, all right? We may have t-shirts for you to buy. I mean, it's going to be awesome. We'll get it to you. Don't you worry, girl. Don't you worry. We'll get one to you. Um, but hey, next week, I mean, I've already been in your schools this week. We're going to be there next week, um, and we're going to be pushing it hard. We want you guys to be able to invite uh, several friends and uh, get them to be able to be a part of this. Uh, make sure you guys spread the word and invite your friend, uh, make sure you're telling people that uh, we'll be here at 615. Uh, from here on uh, to eternity. No, I'm just kidding. Until the end of the school year. So uh, 615, middle school, we're going to rock it out. Uh, tell them we'll have food for them. Uh, new series starting. It's going to be awesome. So a lot of very practical life application kind of things, okay? So you guys can uh, make sure you got a uh, front row seat for it because it's going to be really cool uh, to be a part of. So anyways, tonight... Uh, I have something a little bit different for you, okay? Uh, we're, since we're starting off and, and we're getting back in the groove of things, I uh, wanted to set apart one message uh, tonight. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of, uh, of a man and, and, and really of his wife as well, uh, of, uh, of Adam, Adoniram and his wife Ann Judson. And what, what I'm doing is I'm taking uh, this portion from this book, uh, The Ten Who Changed the World. Anybody ever heard of that book? Some people, some of the, a lot of the seniors and people got that book uh, when they graduated this year. It's got, it's just chock full of, of people who have uh, spent their lives just fully devoted uh, to God. And, he, and it's, it's cool because you get to see, um, it, it's a little bit different. You know, you get to kind of step outside the Bible where you get, you know, all these stories after stories of people who have followed Christ, but you get to kind of step out and you get, re, you know, these people that are tangible, people that you can, that you actually know or, or have heard of that, that have spent, you know, their, their lives uh, reading the Bible and pursuing God with everything they have. And you can see the, the life change that happens, the conversion that happens, and, and things like that. So we're going to get a chance to look at uh, this couple tonight, and, and specifically uh, Adoniram. Uh, Adoniram is a, is a challenging word for me to say. <laughs> so uh, if I call him A-Dog from time to time, you all know who I'm talking about. Uh, but, but, but Mr. Judson, Adoniram Judson, uh, was an incredible man. And I want to tell you just a little bit of his story tonight. And hopefully you guys will be engaged because it's, 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 it's a personal life, okay? It's somebody uh, who endured things over the course of their life, and you get to see how God worked in his life and impacted his life over um, a significant portion of time, all right? So uh, we'll, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 8. We're going to look at Romans 8 here in a little bit, but at first I want to tell you the story of Adoniram. Do we have the picture of Adoniram and Anne? Okay. This is Adoniram Judson, all right? Famous Adoniram and his wife, Ann, all right? They look uh, pretty, pretty good looking, very, very intelligent people, okay? Um, Adoniram was born in 1788 in Boston, Massachusetts. And you can leave that up there for a little bit um, as I talk. He was born in 1788 in Boston, Massachusetts, okay? His parents uh, grew up in Massachusetts. His dad was a, actually a pastor. Um, his, his mom was, a, a, was a, a godly woman who loved the Lord, feared the Lord, 
And so he grew up in a, in a pretty good home. I mean, a lot of you guys, uh, your parents come to this church as well, and so you've grown up in, in, a, in a home like that as well. And if you don't, that's fine. We don't discount that at all. Um, but this is the story of Adoniram and how he um, got to be where he is. And so he grew up in, in, a, in a pretty significant godly home, okay? So a lot like um, most of us. He spent the majority of his life uh, or, or the majority of his life as a missionary uh, to Burma, okay? And you can throw up that, uh, that picture of Burma, Asia, uh, okay? Burma is over here, and it's right, right next to India. You got Thailand, everything around it as well, but Burma is also known as, um, I think it's Mainam or Mainaman or something like that, um, but they, they, they coincide to the same country, uh, and that's where he spent the majority of his life serving as a faithful missionary uh, to Burma, okay? So you kind of get a picture of whom, who Adoniram is. And I want to tell you just a little bit about him. And this is just a little excerpt from the book, um, The Ten Who Changed the World, okay? So Adoniram Judson, you can throw the picture back up of Adoniram. Adoniram Judson is the father of the American Baptist missionary movement, okay? So he was the first American Baptist missionary. It's pretty significant, right? This guy who had, uh, had, had grown up, whatever, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, he became the first American Baptist missionary, okay? So he was sent out as a missionary, okay? It says, the father of the American Baptist missionary movement. Eugene Harrison calls him the apostle of the love of Christ in Burma. He went from Burma where he labored for 40 years, okay? I don't think any of us, of course, we're all not old enough. But even over the course of our lives, after we've lived it, nobody can really say they've been committed to 40 years of something. Uh, maybe a marriage, hopefully. Uh, if you get married, hopefully you'll be married that long. That'll be awesome. Um, but a lot of us, I don't think, will ever really endure something that, that significant of, of laboring and serving somewhere like that, okay? So he spent 40 years of his life serving as a missionary uh, to Burma. It says he translated the whole Bible into Burmese. Okay, he translated the whole Bible into Burmese, spent 21 months in a brutal prison and buried two wives and more than five children. I love this quote. It says, divine providence indeed marked him for death while also making him a messenger for life. Okay, you know that, you know that, you know, when you, when, when somebody passes away, a lot of times there'll be a sentence that follows that person when they're recognized again later, you know, here, you know, Brian Preston, hopefully, you know, it says something good or whatever, but this guy had the ultimate kind of thing following him. It says, divine, it says, Adoniram Johnson, or Judson, divine providence indeed marked him for death while also making him a messenger for life. It's pretty cool, right? All right, so let's look at the life of Adoniram, okay? Like I told you, he was born in 1788, all right, God was all over this dude, okay? And, and up until the, the younger part of his life, I mean, you could even tell he, he would grew up in a godly house. He was, he was a part of the right things. He did the right things. If you wanted to move him to modern terms, he went to the Bible studies, okay? He went to the Sunday school. He did all the things that he needed to do. Uh, but as he grew older, he grew um, just kind of more intelligent for his own good, okay? This guy was just mentally a giant. He was very incredibly intelligent, very smart. Um, he, at three years old, learned to read. At 10 years old, he was taking navigation lessons. At 17 years old, he had graduated high school and was already in college. I mean, this dude was just brilliant, okay? And he got into Providence College, which is now known as Brown University. Anybody heard of Brown University? Okay, it's one of the most prestigious universities in all of America, okay? You know, it's, it's right up there with the, the 
Ivy League school is a Princeton. It's an Ivy League school. It's up there with Princeton, Harvard, all those. Okay. So this dude went to one of the best schools in America at the time, Providence College, which is now Brown University. Okay. He was just an intelligent, intelligent dude. He went to Providence College and, and met a man by the name of Jacob Ames. Okay. Remember that name. Okay. Remember Jacob Ames because that's going to come up here in just a second. But he he became best friends with this guy named Jacob Ames, and and. Adoniram was kind of on the fence anyways. You know, he grew up with a, with a great godly childhood, but he was kind of, he went off to school and he was starting to learn a lot of things and didn't really know uh, what he was getting into or what he believed, but he was kind of sitting on that fence, right? Well, Jacob uh, was a deist. Anybody know what, a, what deism is? Rachel? I don't know is the way she ended the sentence. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anybody else know what deism is? Chris, I'll let you have your moment later. Sorry, man. All right, deism is where, okay, when people believe, when they're a deist, majority of the time it, it means that they believe that, that God or some kind of creator or superpower created the world, but then that God just kind of checks out and he just, you know, leaves it to kind of do whatever it wants on its own, Okay. So they believe that God or somebody created the world, but then they checked out, and they're just letting the world happen as it may, okay? That's the gist, the, the short Cliff Notes version of what a deist is. And so basically, Jacob convinced uh, our man Adoniram that he was uh, to be a deist, that, that, he, that he should believe like this, that religion wasn't, wasn't important, that the afterlife wasn't important, that he basically believed that what we were going to do in this world was going to be it. Once he died, that was going to be it. It's going to be done. And uh, it's kind of a sad way to live, honestly. But that's the way he believed, okay? So it came to a point uh, when he was in school, and he went off. Um, he, he graduated from school. He was a very intelligent guy. Like I said, he graduated from school. He started traveling, okay? So this guy, who was a young guy still, started traveling and going around. And one night... This is, this is the kind of the cool, the really cool part of his story. All right, so listen to this. He, he checks into a hotel, right? He checks into a hotel. He's been traveling. He checks into a hotel, and he's getting ready to lay down and go to sleep. And uh, he lays down to go to sleep, and in the next room over, he just starts hearing all these moaning and, and groans, and he, he starts hearing a guy. He's really in pain, okay? This guy is just in agony, just yelling and screaming and just in absolute distress, okay? And so, obviously, Adoniram being in the next room over is having a hard time sleeping with this dude, screaming and yelling and just in utter pain, okay? So, Adoniram's just sitting there, and this guy's keeping him awake. So, Adoniram just begins to think. He's like, man, this guy's, this guy's you know, on his deathbed. This guy's, you know, about to, about to kick it, and, you know, what's going to happen to him? You know, what, what's going to happen to him? Is he going to I mean, is he going to die? You know, where's he going to go after he dies? I wonder if he is a Christian. I wonder if he believes in heaven. Or I wonder what's going to happen. So he begins to think about all these things. He begins to think about what he thought he believed and then begin to question um, all those things. And he begins to think, well, what, what's going on with this guy? I wonder what's happening. And so he, he, start, he, he spends all night just debating back and forth. He even thought about his college friend who had kind of convinced him to go into deism and he thought about, man, if he were here, he'd be yelling at me and giving me a hard time for even thinking about anything else. But, man, I'm really having a hard time with this. And so he spent the whole uh, night and early morning thinking about these things as he didn't sleep, right? So he woke up the next morning, and guess what happened? Well, the guy that was in the next room had 
passed away. He had died. He had spent all night just in pain and misery and ended up passing away. And so what he did, he went to the clerk, the, uh, the desk guy, and he was like, so what happened last night? And he was like, the guy had passed away. And he was like, oh, my goodness. He was like, do you happen to know his name? I just, for some reason, I want to know his name. And he said, yeah, actually, I do. He was a, he was a great young dude. He went to Providence College. Uh, his name was Jacob Banks. And so Adoniram, having been best friends with this dude who convinced him to be a deist and all these things, had spent all night, ironically, thinking about um, all the things that he was just pondering and thinking about how he, what if this dude's a Christian, all this thing. And he, as soon as he heard that name, as soon as the clerk said, his name's Jacob Ames, the first thing that's recorded as one of the first things he thought about was, that dude is lost. That dude's lost. He's lost. That man is lost. He's lost. That's what he continued to shout and repeat over and over. That dude is lost. And what happened is Adoniram quickly acknowledged and thought about and realized that he was lost, that he needed God, that he needed something else beyond this world. And so what he did, he immediately um, quit his traveling. He returned home. He enrolled in Andover Seminary, Theological Seminary, and, uh, and began to seek God for the first time in his life, truly began to seek God. And what happened was, soon thereafter, he found salvation with God. Isn't that amen? Amen, right? He found salvation with God. And what happened was, as soon as he found salvation with him, Shortly thereafter, God called him into ministry. He called him to missions. And Adoniram knew that no matter what had happened, no matter what, what had already happened in his life, he knew for a fact in an instant in that moment that God had called him into missions and that he was to go overseas. Well, he came home and his, his parents were like, you know, really excited that he had accepted Christ and they were really supportive of that. But then he told them that he wanted to go to, you know, overseas and that he felt called to missions. And they were like, no, don't go. You don't need to do this. You can stay here. We can pour into you. We can, we can love on you here. Don't go. So Adoniram, faced with a little difficulty, he, he soon realized that, listen to this, he soon realized that his relationship with Jesus was more important than even his family, more important than even the people that had raised him. Now, for you guys in your life right now, it's a little, you know, it's a little different. You're in middle school. You have your authority. You have your parents. They're the ones over you. They're the ones that uh, give you uh, a, a help and push you in the right direction where you need to go. Now, obviously, though, if God has called you into something, if God has called you, especially in a ministry or, or to a mission or, or whatever it is, like nothing, nothing should stand in the way of what God is calling you to do. You understand that? Like, Adoniram understood that. He, he thought, you know, you know, no matter what, I love you guys, but God has called me to this mission, and I have to go. I have to go. And so what he did, he, he was uh, in, in dating and love with this, this young woman, Anne, uh, our, our pretty bride up there, Anne, and he, they got married. And what happened was he invited her to go overseas with him. Well, the cool part about the story is not just Adoniram. The cool part of the story is the faith of not only Anne, the faith and trust of Anne. You guys get that? All right? The faith and trust of Anne and also her father. Why do I say her father? Well, listen to this. Adoniram had wrote a message, a letter to her father-in-law, and I'm going to read it to you. It's pretty cool. It's actually really heavy, but it's pretty cool. Mr. Hasseltine is what his name was, okay? So Anne... Her father, Adoniram, wrote him a letter. Listen to this. I have now to ask whether you can consent to, the, to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world. 
whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of meeting, of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heaven, he, heavens saved through her means, from eternal woe and despair. Now, picture yourself as, as a dad of a precious daughter, and maybe it was his only daughter, all right? And you get a letter in the mail from a dude that wants to, you know, has, has married her and, and wants to take her overseas into missions, right? And you get that letter. What is your response? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was perfect. Um, no, right? I mean, it's like you want, you know, obviously you want what God wants, you know, you guys to do and that kind of thing. But I'm just thinking, if I wrote that kind of letter to Alan Lockerman to, you know, marry my bride back there, I just, I, I know that he's a godly dude, but I don't think that the wording of that would have been the best way to present that case, right? But this dude, listen, Adoniram, this dude loved the Lord, okay? And he knew exactly what God had called him to do, Right? He knew exactly what God had called him to do, to go into missions and to, to go and to serve faithfully. And he knew the hard road that was ahead. And so he wasn't sugarcoating anything. And you think about the faith and the trust that that dad had to say, go, go. And you think about the faith and the trust of a woman who loved the Lord enough to say, I want to go. I want to do that. I want to follow uh, where you're going to go and what God has called us to do. It's pretty awesome, right? pretty crazy. All right, let's keep going in the story. So they arrived, they, they leave for India, and they arrive, they arrive in India. They stay there for about four months before they head into Burma, okay? So they go into Burma. They spend, uh, they, they port into Ragoon, or Rangoon, excuse me, Burma, and uh, they, they spend a majority of their time there initially, okay? So they spent ten, the, the first 10 years, okay, of their ministry, missions to Burma, okay? They spent 10 years, 10 years just, just laboring and learning the language. Just, just laboring and learning the language. There was no, no translators. There was not a lot of help there, okay? So they had to go and learn the language. Um, Adoniram was determined, determined to, to translate the Bible into Burmese. And so he began to learn the language and not only the language, but the grammar that comes with it. Any of you guys had a language yet? Is that too? Sorry, so you guys are, if you're learning those things, you're learning the grammar that goes with it, right? And all the things that go along with that, it's really difficult, right? So this guy had spent majority of the first five years learning those things, and he translated, he ended up translating the book of Matthew in the first five years. Just the book of Matthew in the first five years. You think about six, six books in the Bible, that's going to take a long time, right? Anyways... <laughs> But he had spent uh, a long time doing that. And, and, and what happened was in the first seven years of their missionary journey, in the first seven years laboring in the mission field, 
they only saw one convert. And it happened in 1817, after they had spent seven years there, they saw their first convert, and they baptized their first person. You think, you think about um, the time that they spent, the laboring that they spent, not to see anybody come to Christ in the first seven years, essentially. It's got to be discouraging, right? It's got to be a little discouraging, but they continue to press on, press forward. In 1819 is when that had happened, that they saw their first convert in 1822. Um, ten, three years later, they had 18 converts, okay? So they're picking up steam. God is moving. God is allowing them to work. And so 10 years uh, spent in Burma, they've seen uh, God work, God move, and, and, and things established and conversions happening. Well, what happened was two years later, Adoniram was imprisoned. Can you believe that? He, he got arrested. He was taken to prison. And what happened? He spent a long time in this prison. It's called death prison. He almost spent two years there. And basically what had happened was um, he was naked. They barely, barely fed him. They didn't clean the jail. Okay, so you're talking about just uh, animal and vegetable matter and all this stuff that's just filled the ground. Um, you're talking about, I mean, they're just naked. They're chained. They have these chains that weigh about 14 pounds strapped around their ankles and their legs weighing them to the ground at night just so that anybody wouldn't escape. They, t- they chained those up to a bamboo pole and raised their legs to where just their shoulders were touching the ground and their legs were lifting the air at an elevation. It's crazy, right? He's, just, he's spending two years in this, in this hell, essentially. And what happens is, is his wife, the loving Anne, comes in every day, brings him food, uh, pays the guard so that she can see him, kind of bribery, what little money they had uh, she used to, to bring him food and to pay off the guards um, so that she can continue to see him. And what happened was uh, two years into this, uh, or like right after he got arrested, actually, um, they had uh, 21 days after he was in prison, they had their first child. Okay, they had already had a miscarriage at that point, and they had their first child. So you think about Anne having to raise a child on her own, come visit him every day, bringing him food. I mean, you talk about a faithful woman, a faithful woman who loves her husband and knows exactly what God's called her to do, all right? And so they spend a majority majority of two years in this same kind of scenario. Well, what happens is the baby and Anne both come down with disease. They get smallpox, they get some other things, and they come down with these diseases and they, they, they can't shake, they can't get rid of, they don't have medicine to help. And what happens is uh, three weeks before he's going to release. So she spent majority of two years petitioning uh, for his release. And finally, three weeks before he gets released, she stops coming. He doesn't know why. He doesn't see her for three weeks until he gets released. Now, he just only can assume that she's sick and maybe she's died. So he leaves prison. He begins to run the streets. He finally finds her. His baby is unrecognizable. She, he's covered in ash. His wife is shrunken, just malnourished, shrunken, faces distorted, sick, doesn't recognize his wife. Shortly thereafter, his wife dies. And then six months later, his baby dies. So you think about a man who spent years laboring to only see a little bit of progress, to be in prison for two years, almost to the point of death. It says several times he almost died. And then to get out to find that his wife was sick, ill, to the point of death, and then she died shortly after. What happened was, is he basically slid into kind of a depression, a slump. In 1829, um, God basically, or 1827 rather, 
Um, he just slid into depression. He basically, what the story says, he ran out into the, uh, a field and, and, and ran out into a forest, and he dug a grave and just sat there and looked at it, just depressed, lonely, hurting. He just sat there and looked at it for days and days and days. And finally, God basically tried to grab a hold of him. And so two years, three years after his wife's anniversary of her death, 1829, he says, he was quoted as saying, God is to me the great unknown. I believe him, but I cannot find him. And he talks about how, he talks about how God's love and his mercy, his love and his mercy is what the only thing that kept him going through any and all of it. God's love and mercy kept him going through it all. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you think about how much God loves us. It's, it's so crazy. But the thing is, God's love never failed. It never failed. He clung to that. Later, it says he remarried a woman named Sarah Bro- uh, Boardman. Excuse me. Uh, they were married for 11 years. They had eight kids. Uh, only five survived, though. Three of them had died before they reached adulthood. Um, so he and then his wife, um, Sarah, had died shortly thereafter as well. Um, then right before he was about to die, four years before he about died, he married again. And then he passed away in 1850. You talk about a life marked with death, right? Like, you talk, I mean, in a metaphorical sense of the word, yes. But like, in a literal sense of the word, in every way, people around him, family, friends, everybody um, was, was dying, passing away. He was marked for death. He almost died several times. You talk about a guy who, through it all, through enduring all those different things, continued to press forward and press on. Well, in Romans, in chapter 8, verse 31, I'm just going to read this. We're going to talk about it for a second, and then we'll be done. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, the one who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, listen to this, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I think he endured all those things, right? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed off all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Paul's quoting Psalm 44 there. 37, it says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. It's pretty awesome. What happened in Adoniram's life and his wife, the life of his wife, excuse me, was, was, can kind of be boiled down to four things. And this is, this is in that book, 10, 10 Things That Changed the World. And I think that I couldn't have said any better myself. One of the things is we have God's providence. I think you can see what that means is, is God's provision, God paving the way, God working things out uh, in a way that um, only he can do, right? So you look at Adoniram's conversion story, right? 
You look at how he came to the Lord and how God placed Jacob Ames in the room next to him and how he used that guy in his life, even as he pointed him towards something else, Christ still pointed him back to him. It's God's provision. God paved that way. It says, it says in his word, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. His provision, God's provision. Second thing is we have his prayers, okay? Do you, know, do you guys realize that Jesus Christ prays for you? Do you guys realize that? It blows my mind every time I think about it. Because I, can, I can't even barely, I can hardly comprehend a, hum, uh, a person in front of me right here praying for me, somebody like me, but I cannot even begin to fathom that Jesus Christ prays for me. It says in 34, it says, Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, the one who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's praying to God on our behalf. He's praying for you. Jesus Christ is praying for you. You realize that? Jesus Christ is praying for you. We have his prayers, but we also have his power. In verse 37, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. With Jesus Christ inside of us, if you guys believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he paved the way and made a way for you to have life again, you have the conquering power inside you, Christ's power inside you. You realize that? You are more than conquerors. You guys can overcome anything that Christ puts in your path or that God puts in your path. You guys are more than capable. You realize that? It's pretty awesome. We have his power, and the last thing is that we have his promise. We have his promise. You look in the last verse of Romans, it says, or the last two, it says, that, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Think about all that Adoniram went through. Okay? Think about all the things that he went through from his conversion story to his parents not wanting him to go to him going to spending frustration years of ministry in Burma to uh, being in prison to his wife dying, his child dying, to people all around him dying, to another wife dying and three more children dying. You think about all these things that happened to this man, all these things that had happened in his, in his life. You think about none of that, none of that could separate him from the love of Christ. And the same thing goes for us is that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what you go through, no matter what you endure or what happens this year in school or, or, or whatever the case is, anything in your life, nothing, nobody, no person, no thing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. God loves you. And, I, and if you don't look at the story of Adoniram and Ann Judson and think that God loved them and, and carried them through it all and that they spent 40 years of ministry in Burma. He ended up translating the entire Bible into Burmese. He ended up publishing about 15 to 20,000 tracts, handing them out conversions after conversions of people coming to know the Christ. You talk about 600 churches that were planted. You talk about a Baptist convention that was established in Burma and that 600,000 people are a part of, and 3,500 organizations and churches are now a part of, all that happened because God loved and had his hand all over Adoniram Judson and his wife, Anne, and you think about the ministry that happened. Nothing separated them from the love of Christ. Nothing separated from the love, and nothing's going to separate you from the love of Christ. 
So as you move into this new school year, as you go into your classrooms, as you converse with friends, as you talk to people day in and day out, teachers, friends, family, whatever, just remember that God loves you, that no, nothing can separate you from that love. And if you don't have that love, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, man, come talk to me. Come talk to Suzanne. Come talk to one of our leaders. We would love to be able to pray with you, to talk to you about it, and to be able to give you that assurance of knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Amen? It's pretty cool, huh? Man, I love you guys. Pray for you more than you know. Let's pray, and uh, we'll, we'll get we'll get out. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your promise. Thank you, God, that you pray for us. Thank you, Father, that you are standing in the gap. You are interceding for us. You are making a way for us. And God, that you love us. God, it's so, so incredible. So, so amazing. God, it's unparalleled. There's nothing that compares to you. Nothing that compares to your promises. And God, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the life of a missionary servant of Adoniram Judson and his wife Anne and the faith and the trust and the, and the perseverance that you continue to allow them to press forward. And we get to reap the benefits of our heroes in the faith, men and women that love you that have gone before us. And God, we praise you for them. And God, we pray for that kind of life. We pray that you give us favor like that. We pray that no matter what we go through, God, that we can be able to establish your kingdom here on earth. And that, God, that one day we will turn to heaven with you and celebrate in glory. Man, what an awesome privilege we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Invite your friends to not a fan next week. It's going to be awesome, all right? Go in peace. <laughs>